Have you ever read the Bible and felt as though you couldn't relate to what was happening? I know I have, and it's easy to find yourself lost in a sea of parables that talk about such culturally irrelevant topics. I mean, lost sheep, leavened bread, and laborers in a vineyard? These hardly seem to translate to our modern-day lives. The Bible was set in a completely different time, within a completely different culture. I love what Gary M. Burge once said, We have forgotten that we read the Bible as foreigners, as visitors who have traveled not only to a new geography, but a new century. We are literally tourists who are deeply in need of a guide. In order to understand its context, we can't read scripture within a Western world that doesn't acknowledge the Jewish Middle Eastern culture. Once we begin to understand how the Bible reads from the vantage point of a Middle Easterner, we discover a whole new side in approaching God's word. And we may even discover an even sweeter sense of who our amazing God is. I'm your host, Jen Robinson, for April 30th, 2021. Welcome to Bloom. This is a podcast designed to inspire, encourage, and grow women in their relationship with each other and the Lord. So last fall, I was prayerfully searching for a women's Bible study to teach, and I stumbled upon a study by a new Lifeway author, Christy McClellan, called Jesus and Women. I was immediately drawn to it because it dives into biblical Jewish culture, specifically pointing out how Jesus' ministry related to women. Now, throughout this study, she challenged my group and I to remove our Western lenses. In other words, remove the conclusions that we make based upon our Western culture and then read scripture through a Middle Eastern lens. Throughout all her studies and travels to Israel, she learned that us Westerners have a couple of blind spots, so to speak, when we read the Bible. It's easy for us to take a modern first world perspective because that's where we're we're at. That's what we're familiar with. But in doing so, we fail to acknowledge the biblical culture and we fail to acknowledge the historical context of when these accounts took place. Just as the case when driving a car, there is always an element of danger if we don't address our blind spots. Because of these blind spots, we make attempts to apply God's word within the parameters of our modern day lives without acknowledging that the Bible has a completely different cultural context. One of my professors at Moody asked, why is context important? And I have to say, before I went to Moody, I never really considered how context played a part in how I read and interpreted scripture. I mean, I thought to myself, why do we need to consider culture and historical facts in order to understand God's word? And to be honest, my knee-jerk response was, I'm a Christian. I'm not Jewish. What purpose is there in studying the Jewish practices, customs, and culture? Like, How does that make me better understand God's word? And I have to say I blame it on my generation a little bit. Millennials thrive in knowing the end goal. We want to see the reason behind what we're doing before we do it. So my professor graciously explained that we often misread, misinterpret, and even risk altogether missing what was intended completely if we neglect to consider Jewish customs and history. 
What's their background? What's their culture? In her study, Christy lists seven contrasting points to how we approach scripture in comparison to how the Middle East approaches scripture. Now, I will say that for me and the women who also followed this study felt like we experienced God's word with a new set of eyes. In fact, I would boldly say that understanding the Jewish relevancy to the Bible is completely transforming for the modern day believer. American theologian and preacher Dr. Russell Moore once said this, A Bible with its Jewishness run out of it is no Bible. A Christ with his Jewishness obscured is no Christ at all. For us, New Testament Christian believers, we may struggle with this idea of relating to and understanding Jesus' Jewishness. But if we dismiss the cultural context in Scripture, we ultimately miss out on some of the most beautiful treasures that are right in front of us, simply because we lack considering its first century Jewish setting. Context provides insight for interpretation. And how we interpret the word, how we approach the word, determines how we see and understand who God is, as well as what his intended message is for us. My journey to understand the Jewish culture and scripture has barely begun. I am not an expert by any means, but I will say that I didn't think Jesus could get any sweeter until I began seeing through a Middle Eastern lens. I am going to offer some simple examples to explain just how significant Jewish culture plays a role in our interpretation. But there obviously isn't enough time to go into every single concept. As I mentioned earlier, Christy provides us with seven contrasts of how the Middle East approach God's word and how we Westerners approach God's word. So in this two-part series, we're going to unpack two of my favorite contrasts. And today, we're going to take a look at our basic approach to God's Word. In our Western culture, we hold education and literature in high regard. Western education is a structure founded on knowledge. When we set out in a learning experience, we are studying to acquire knowledge. Just look at how our education system functions. Students receive material, textbooks, workbooks, study guides, all kinds of varieties of text learning material. Instructors then teach the students a lesson from the curriculum, and then those students are tested on their understanding, in other words, their knowledge on the subject. And this has trickled down even into the systems within our churches. Kids memorize and recite scripture verses to receive a gold star or a piece of candy. And that's not a bad thing. It's just saying that we study our Bibles with the intention to gain knowledge of God's word. That is how we approach reading scripture. However, in the Middle Eastern culture, learning is approached and experienced in an entirely different way. In Jewish culture, cultivating spiritual growth happens in the context of community and conversation, not necessarily in a library. A student in the Middle East would study under their teacher by doing life with them, modeling their behavior, consuming their every instruction, following right behind them, not wanting to miss a word that is spoken. In fact, the Middle Eastern approach to learning is not to acquire knowledge, although I think that naturally happens, of course, but to be fed. Ever hear of the phrase, you are what you eat? Well, in the Middle East, scripture is not seen as a book that you read, but a feast that you consume. 
It's a biblical feast. It's a table that God has prepared for us to come to and feast upon. They would literally, metaphorically feast on the word of God, taking it in, allowing it to permeate their lives. Now, I have to admit, personally, this was a very thought-provoking approach to reading the Bible. I find that I often try to read as much as I can, memorize as much as I can, again, feeling like I need to obtain this knowledge, I need to acquire this information. And other times, I feel like I have so much to do that I just don't have the time to sit down and meditate on it the way I want to. I guess in the Middle East, you would say I'm looking more for a snack than a meal. But when you picture the posture of being fed, especially a good, hearty meal, it's a relaxed, enjoyable experience. It's something that takes time. You don't scarf down a filet mignon, do you? No, you take your time, you savor each bite in such a way that even after you've eaten it, you can still remember its taste in your mouth. After you've eaten, your body digests the food, and that same food is turned into fuel for your body. That is exactly like the Word of God. It's a hearty meal that gives us spiritual fuel and vitality for our daily lives. When reading our Bibles, we can consider Psalm 34, 8, which says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste the word. Take it in. God has given us a feast through his word. Now, switching gears real quick, every culture has certain idioms. Idioms are the sayings and phrases that are familiar to our culture. Part of cultural context is to understand these idioms. In our culture, for instance, if someone were to say to you, time flies when you're having fun, we don't picture a clock wearing a cape flying through the sky. We understand what that phrase means. We are well-versed to know it means that time goes by quickly when we're doing something we enjoy. If your kid was preparing to perform on stage for a school play, you might tell them beforehand, break a leg. We obviously aren't implying that we hope they break a bone. These are the adopted phrases and sayings that we have. And the same is true in other cultures. Other cultures have their own set of idioms, phrases and sayings that they use that can mean something completely different from our interpretation. Our Bibles have idioms too. This also relates to the idea of cultural context and why it matters. So not just even our approach to God's word, but then just understanding the culture, the customs, the background that is within that first century Jewish world. For instance, how many times have you listened to messages preaching on God's yoke? Jesus spoke in the book of Matthew chapter 11, encouraging his followers that his yoke is easy. He said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When we read the word yoke, how many of you picture two oxen being harnessed with a wooden structure that pulls them together? They can pull that cart together because they're, they're, they're both supporting that burden of pulling that cart, right? Yes, me too. Because in our culture, this is what a yoke is. So we commonly interpret this passage to imply that God helps sustain us and carries our burdens. Now, this is true. God does help sustain us and carries our burdens for us. 
but it's not what this passage means. In the Middle East, they have their own idiom for referencing yoke. If you were to approach a rabbi and ask them, what is your yoke? He would proceed to teach you his beliefs and his core value system. Because yoke in the Middle East means your doctrine. So when Jesus says, my yoke is easy, what he's saying is, my doctrine is easy. What he teaches is easy. Because I do not come with this burdensome doctrine of the law, but a doctrine of grace. Now, if you think this sounds strange, it makes even more sense when we apply this understanding to another familiar verse that speaks about being equally yoked. 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? Sometimes being unequally yoked is referenced in relationship to marriage. You want to marry a spouse who holds the same beliefs as you. But really, in all our relationships, it matters that we're equally yoked. God warns us to be careful as to whom we are closely linked to. We want to be in close relationship with those who hold the same doctrinal beliefs as we hold. A couple other small examples include God's description of the promised land in Exodus 3.8. When he says it will be a land flowing with milk and honey, if we read that literally, we might think this land will actually have rivers of milk and honey flowing throughout. But in Jewish culture, they understood that God was implying the promised land would be a fertile land. Another small example. Do you remember the dialogue between Jesus and his mother Mary in John chapter 2? Jesus and some of the disciples are attending a wedding and they run out of wine. So Mary goes to Jesus and asks him to do something. But Jesus' response might take us off guard at first glance. Jesus says to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. It sounds harsh and disrespectful in our culture, right? I mean, reading this in our Western lenses, we take a tone that sounds brash, like, Woman, what are you thinking? You must be out your mind. But when Jesus referred to Mary as woman, Jesus was addressing her in a culturally respectful way. He calls her woman again when he entrusts Mary into John's care before he died on the cross. And friends, I'm going to tell you there's so many more like this. They are all throughout scripture, things that we miss and that we misinterpret because we don't see them through the Middle Eastern lens. We read them and interpret them through our own Western lens. And we try to apply them to our lives when we don't really have the full understanding of what it means. This may not be the most eye-opening revelation for you, but it gives an idea of how we can easily make false interpretations when we dismiss cultural application. We take things out of context and we miss out on the intended message God, the author, is saying even in the most familiar verses that we think we have all figured out. If we dismiss the Bible's Jewish context, we might miss out on what God's intended message is for us altogether. Cultural context matters because it affects how we interpret scripture and how we interpret scripture affects how we see God and how we interact as New Testament believers in our modern Western world. 
This is merely the tip of the iceberg, but I hope it has whetted your appetite to intentionally indulge in God's word and discover more of who he is and the amazing feast that he has given us. Now, the reason I chose to dive into this topic of Western world versus Middle Eastern culture is strategic preparation for our upcoming Women's and Men's Spring Conference called Encounter. On Saturday, May 22nd, we will be gathering together at the Middleburg Heights campus to have a time of worship and hear four short teachings. The event is called Encounter because we want to simply come to encounter God. At this year's conference, we're focusing on how we as Westerners, how we read the Bible and ask ourselves, what does this teach me about me? But we're going to be challenged to receive our messages from the Middle Eastern perspective that asks, what does this teach me about God? We're going to take a look at four different women in the Bible and how we see an illustration of God's character in their stories. The women's portion will be from 3 to 5 p.m. with fellowship afterwards, and the men's portion will be from 6 to 8. Invite a friend, co-worker, or neighbor. But can I challenge you? Invite someone who you know who has never encountered God before. Or maybe someone you know who has walked away from him. While I believe this conference will be transformative for a seasoned believer, it will definitely be transformative for someone who has yet to have a personal encounter with Jesus. So I would love for you to please go to the website. It's gracecma.org. You can find out more information and you can also find the links to register there. But we hope to see you there and we look forward to encountering God with you. We can sometimes think that the God of the Old Testament is different from the God of the New Testament. We think it sounds like two completely separate stories. But scripture actually reads as one large narrative. From Genesis to Revelation, the word of God is written by the one who is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Next on Bloom, we'll finish this two-part series by discussing how the Bible is not just a collection of 66 pieces to a puzzle, but a complete, whole story. In fact, it's the best story ever told. Join me back here next time. Keep growing, and God bless.